Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. What is your profession? Saddle up. Lock and lock. And when you're patriot feeling, spirit is silent. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome. You're listening to Fire Away with Carlos Bursabe, brought to you by Catholic Ammo, En Route Books and Media, and WCAT Radio where we're locked, loaded, and ready for battle with today's hot topics. Howdy, howdy, everybody. This is your host, Carlos Bursabe. You're listening to episode 34 of Fire Away. Last episode, I had a wonderful young Instagram evangelist on by the name of Kaylin, also known as at Catholic underscore teen underscore posts. She was on with me where we started off talking about the sexual abuse scandals that are plaguing the Catholic Church, and then we ended with a very lighthearted and uplifting discussion on her acting career, evangelization through cinema, and whatever else is on the road down in the future. Now, hopefully we get to have her on again for today's hot topic. I think it's high time we bring back another Campfire episode, especially since we're smack dab In the middle of September, which for many folks, they're already about a month in into hunting season. So anyhow, to help me grapple with today's hot topic, we have two Catholic gentlemen, Jeremy Hollis from Stag and Cross Outdoors and Sean McVeigh from Sean's Outdoor Adventures. But before we go any further, let's go ahead and bow our heads in an opening prayer. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, welcome back. Woohoo! Man, it's great to have you guys on. I'm excited. Oh, man. Uh, Hunting season, not being able to hunt. I don't know. Just a lot. I mean, I'm still happy because I get to talk to you fine gentlemen, and you guys are always uplifting. So what about you guys? What's going on in your world? Well, Jeremy, you want to go first? No, man. It doesn't matter to me. Mine, I'm typical, man. I'm working, working, working. Hunting season's coming up, so you know, I'm getting in the woods, getting cameras out, checking tree stands, making sure all the straps are good. So typical typical for this time of year. Well, I just went through a major life change, moving a 1,000 miles away from where I was, and I got, you know, still got part of my hunting stuff in boxes. And moving to Iowa is not the easiest place to move into to just get into the hunting. They actually have a 90-day, you have to prove residency for 90 days, permanent residency, before you can apply for residency status to be allowed to buy a hunting license. So 
Um, actually, let's see. Today's the 18th. I am eligible in three days for my 90-day eligibility application status. And um, so I actually called them on the phone the other day to, to talk to them about it because I wanted to, you know, get my application in at the first moment I possibly could. And they said there's such a backlog right now with how busy they are. They said, go ahead and send it because by the time they get to it, it'll probably be, you know, a few weeks from now. So I don't know if I'll even have a license come opening day, which is October 1st for Iowa for deer. However, um, I have my map reading challenge hunt that I do with my, my fans on YouTube. And um, that is coming up in near the beginning of October anyway. So even if I don't have my residency status all in play come the beginning of October, I will be heading over to Ohio to do a hunt with the guys. So I will get some hunting in. It's just a matter of where will that be. Oh, Ohio, that's your neck, uh, that's your neck of the woods there, Jeremy. Yeah, it sounds, doesn't sound like he's too far from where I'm at, but we can figure that out later. I know you want to keep that a secret. Oh, yes, I'm very secretive. I actually got an email from somebody. Um, I was checking my email right before we got on this call because I was trying to see, like, how I was how you guys wanted me to get on the call. And I got an email from a guy who recognized where I met the people uh, for the Mapping Challenge scout trip. However, what he doesn't realize is that's not actually where we were mostly. He thought he knew exactly where we were. That was just the meeting point. Um, but yeah, we do, I do keep it kind of on the wraps because, you know, I've actually had people leave notes on my car as it is, you know, when they see my car, they watch my videos, they figure out who I am, they figure out where I am. And, um, I don't want like a bunch of people just showing up when we go to do this challenge hunt because it's public land and you, you're already dealing with other hunters. There's no need to bring a whole bunch more in (laughs) and make it even harder. Yeah, I... I, man, I am so jealous thinking about this. I'm trying not to. Oh, Lord, please give me the patience to deal with it. Because for me, so uh, before I left for my temporary duty assignment over in Norfolk, Virginia, I my shoulder was already kind of hurt. And Oof. while I was there, I hurt it some more. And I found out that through uh, MRIs, x-rays, etc., that there's a tear somewhere in my shoulder. Well, I come back and they said they said they're like 90% sure that it's my labrum. And so it's hard for me to do anything, you know, with my shoulders. I, for, when I heard it in Virginia, I couldn't even cast a, a rod. It, it hurt that bad. Yeah. Now I'm seeing everything going on. I wish I could go back to Wyoming right now because it's bow season for, for elk. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I'm look like where I have my podcast stuff set up is in, is in my man cave, and I'm staring yeah. at my bows that I cannot pull back. So you're you're, you're reaping pain on top of pain, my friend. Oh man, it is. And I hey, but, nail but it to yeah, the cross. speaking of um, Wyoming, I was actually talking with a couple buddies the other day, and we were like, you know, we just got to put together an elk hunt. So like maybe in we're thinking two years, we'll try to. We'll try to do it. I'll have to try to remember to keep you in the loop on that if you want to. We're thinking of Map Reading Challenge Elk Edition in a couple of years. Woo, buddy. That, Ooh, the, yeah, the, that's right. That topography over there is gorgeous. I, I'm in. Yeah. All right, man. Get your shoulder fixed so that, up. That, that'll, be a, 
that'll be a challenge too, especially with, well, I guess you're kind of used to being up in the mountains and stuff, but Ohio's flat. Yeah. Well, by the time we do that hunt, I will be having, I will have lived in, in Iowa for a couple of years. So I will, um, I'll probably be out of shape as far as my mountain trekking goes. That's one thing, like, I always would see it the first two weeks of hunting season. I could just see my cardio go through the roof and my muscles because I don't get to work out or anything anymore with the kids and stuff. So it mainly would just be when I would go hunting. That was when I was working out. And, um, man, within a couple of weeks, I could feel my, my legs just turn to stone, you know, just how tight the muscles get from just carrying all that gear up and down the mountains. It's that is one thing I will actually not miss at all about the hunting in Pennsylvania where I lived. I mean, you had not a lot of deer and a lot of hard hikes, and it just gets old quick. So I will not miss that at all. Man, I, that's what I... Were you, were you were hunting in Pennsylvania... Go ahead, brother. Go ahead, Carlos. I, I was just saying, when you were hunting in Pennsylvania, were you hunting public land there too? Yeah. So... Public land is huge in PA, like where I live. Out my back door, there was 13,000 acres of public land, and it was all mountains. It went for a good 14 miles in one direction and about eight miles deep, and um, it was all mountains. And, I mean, I could drive 30 minutes and be on a different, like, 20,000, 30,000-acre tract. I mean, it was just – if you ever look at an aerial photo of Pennsylvania in the middle – uh, the the upper portion of Pennsylvania in the middle, I would call it the black hole because at nighttime, if you ever see a nighttime aerial, it's it's just this black hole because there's really no population there. It's just all forest, really. And um, I was living kind of up in that area, so it's there's a lot of areas that you can get real remote, real fast. And that's actually the biggest um, shocker to me coming to Iowa is there is not much by way of public land. I mean, there are there are pockets of public land, but they're so small. Like, there's a 200-acre piece here. There's like a 800-piece over there. But to me, I'll walk across 800 acres and not even be breaking a sweat, you know? Right. I'm used to walking a couple miles to get away from people. And the other thing is I actually live in a city now um, in order to take this um, church job that I took. And that means there's a lot of people, and there is not big, vast tracts of public land. So I'm a little bit concerned going into this hunting season. I'm going to have, you know, more human activity. It's going to be harder to find pockets away from people. And I've been running cameras since I got out here, since the beginning of July. And I really haven't got – I mean, I've gotten some some bucks that there's people out there that would say, oh, yeah, I'd love to shoot that or – I mean, but those would be my friends from Pennsylvania, you know. These bucks that I'm getting camera on camera, I'm getting a lot of three-year-olds, a couple two-year-olds, maybe one four-year-old. And when you look, when you're talking, you know, Pope and Young score, a lot of them are right around that 115 to 125 inch mark, which really is not what people are expecting to see coming out of Iowa. So mm -hmm. what I've learned really since I've been here is a lot of the big-time hunting is southern Iowa, and I'm not in southern Iowa. I'm a couple hours away. So I'm in the right state just a few hours from real where the hot the uh, hot hunting is. But um, So it's been a little bit of an eye-opener. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, we're all, like, getting our game plan together for the season, and I'm just thinking, well, you know, 
by the time I can get my license, I might not even have the ability to get a doe tag in the normal because it'll all be sold out. Um, so I might just be like, well, we'll see what what happens come the rut. You know, I mean, it might just be just wait till the rut because that's when even where I'm running cameras now, there's private property in the vicinity. And if a big boy's hanging out on a private property, it's n- it's no um, problem for him to go running around even on the public land. And you might get a glimpse of something decent. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting year. I'm just um, going to trust God and, you know, see what happens. So, uh, you know, I just I, – there's a lot of uncertainty, though, Carlos, going into this season for me. So it's just going to be curious question marks going into it. I'll pray for you, man. I know that was a <laughs> – that was an eye-opener for me, too, going from Wyoming to Nebraska. Nebraska is probably much the same way. When I got to talk to the game wardens about public land, they said, like, 97% of Nebraska is private. So yeah. there's pockets here and there. The biggest swaths of public land are out west, um, and they're nice, flat, and nothing to hide behind. So, yeah. I, so what I'm thinking... So I'm I may not be able to pull back my bow, but How I'm about wondering. A crossbow? Uh, I'm, I was thinking about that, but uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I have a number four kid on the way. So congratulations! Thank you, thank Catching you. Catching up to me. <laughs> and uh, with the number four, I don't know that I can convince uh, yeah. my, my wife that I need a crossbow when I have like a lot of archery stuff already, and yeah. so. Unless I can well, borrow a crossbow. Show, show her the MRI results. <laughs> hey, look at this. See this picture, honey? This is damaged. I know. She's going to go, well, look at this uh, Look at this ultrasound. You see what's growing inside of me? But, um, it's dollar signs right there, my friend. I, I do have a rifle. I mean, I, do, I still yeah. do hunt with a boomstick. So I yeah. figure maybe if... If I pad it up good enough, uh, it's not like a thirty out six kicks that much, anyways. I yeah. might I might still be able to make it out there. It just won't be with my regular bow and arrow. Yeah, but I don't know, uh, Jeremy. Hey, real quick, you were telling me something earlier before we started this podcast. Uh, what, what did you What did you want to throw in the in the mix? Well, you know, I think we all have dealt with anti hunters at one point or another, and we've got a young lady who she's fairly popular. She's one of our pro staff and she's dealing with a group right now that just keeps consistently posting on her page. And like, for instance, what, one of their comments was, I pray that light fills your heart. Anytime you choose to try and kill an animal again, I pray you think clearly I pray that compassion fills your heart as you look at the sentient being that you willingly murdered for the sake of it. The rest of it's kind of blocked out with her comment. Man. I'm just, I don't know. To me, this was, they're taking, they're taking this on a. Yeah. So when I, you know, they're going to try and throw this. I get stuff like that too. And I try to, point to the management aspect like you know i'm coming from pennsylvania where so many deer used to die every year from starvation because there wasn't enough food to carry the population and also the deer decimated the understory killing the the habitat for so many other animals 
people don't understand the ecology of it. I mean, we have to balance the ecosystem. You know, it, we've we've removed a lot of the natural predators that God put there mm-hmm. to keep the balance. You know, like the the wolves and a lot of the mountain lions and and things like that. So I try to I try to point that out to them. Of course, that falls on dead ears, but there is that that reality is there, and I wish they would understand that. You know, you know what though, like even. Even if they didn't believe that. So over in uh, in Norfolk, there was a... I didn't realize this, but I drove by the building whenever we were out and about. There's a PETA building out there. Uh, yeah. You know, a PETA headquarters building of some sort. I, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of these people who make these comments actually are meat eaters. Because very few people are vegetarians. You know, across yeah. the face of the earth. I mean, if we really... And if they were, uh, you know, the least bit scientific... Yeah. If they wanted to look at human anthropology, one of the reasons why human beings were able to develop the way we did was because of being able to eat and cook meat, or eat cooked yeah. meat. So those proteins, the fats, help develop our brains to what it is today. It's an essential part of yeah. who we are. Uh, and you're not going to get that mm-hmm. from from plants the same way you do from animal right. proteins. So even if they wanted to go that route, the the, the sad part is... For people who are typically who say that they're uh, typically open-minded, they sure are very close-minded when it comes to opinions that they disagree with. And and uh, real quick for anybody out there listening, whatever background noise you hear, that's not static. Uh, Jeremy is actually outside, and that's the outdoors you're hearing: crickets, frogs, <laughs> whatever chirping, buzzing. I am thing. providing the ambiance for the show. Yeah, this is go. really a campfire. I'm just in my basement. <laughs> I wish if I, was. I wasn't in my basement, you'd be hearing the the natural sounds of wild children. <laughs> How many kids you got? Four. Oh, okay, right on, right on. Yeah, I'm, yeah oldest one. Oldest one is six, so they're all real little. Ah, I got a ten, six, three, and we're due in February. Like we're we've we've gone back to homeschooling. So one of the things that I nice. plan on doing very soon is teaching them how to make uh, fire via friction. Nice. And then uh, I I was at a Knights of Columbus meeting last night, and I told them that I wanted to see if they'd be interested in opening up or starting a troops of Saint George here in the local area. It's kind of like Boy Scouts except Catholic. If you guys haven't heard of it, yeah, I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. But that's cool. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty excited. The other thing that I'm still keeping in mind is if I do go hunt, you know, like I'm I'm behind. I haven't gone to I haven't logged in onto Archery Talk. I haven't uh logged into any of these forums where they talk about the latest hunting this and that. And for the most part, you know, when it comes to like to me one of the most important things is scent control. I'm probably yeah. way behind the times compared to a lot of people. I, what do you guys do for scent control? Well, I've I've tried pretty much uh, just about everything, and they're always coming out with stuff. But I feel like a lot of it, it's um, it's it's basically. Uh, I mean, since we started having kids, we started buying scent-free, dye-free uh, detergent for washing clothes. And I think a lot of the detergents that they sell for hunting is really, that's all it is. They just put it in a hunting soap bottle. And, um, I, I mean, I don't see any difference. I've used both. I've tried both. And I'm not really necessarily satisfied with how they work either. 
So um, I'll try to do scent elimination. To me, I'm not brand specific. I think for me, the key that we're, that really helps is getting the dryer sheets. It doesn't matter the brand. I've used every brand, and they all work pretty much the same. But I use those odorless dryer sheets that you can get, you know, whether it's scent killer, dead downwind, whatever brand, but that really helps take the odor out at first. But then what I started to do like last year is during the hunt, I noticed my clothes would begin to just take on odor. That's what happens when you go outside, your clothes just, the molecules bond to your clothes and it creates a smell that's foreign actually to the animals. And so I started to collect leaves like off the surrounding trees before I climb up in my stand, and I would actually rub my clothes with the um, with the leaves periodically during the hunt, and that would actually help mask some of that odor and take some of it back out. And it's not a it's not a perfect system, but it actually does help a little bit. I mean, I've tried carrying the scent killing sprays. I've tried all of them, just not satisfied with them. And I had somebody comment the other day saying that they're designed to take away human odor, not like odors from the environment, which I would have to agree because they don't take away odors <laughs> from the environment. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, unless you're in the south and you're not, you're sweating your brains out, I'm, I hunt the north. So I, a lot of times I'm not sweating my, if I am sweating from the hike in, I, I usually just bring a change of t-shirt and, and stuff like that and put in a Ziploc bag, maybe reapply my deodorant you know my scent killing deodorant and um you know i'm usually fine regarding that as far as human odor um i'm usually okay with it's the the odors that are created from the molecules out there bonding to your clothes that cause the problems and um you know rubbing a handful of dirt or some leaves is one of the things i've done in the past that actually helped dumb down the the odor the, the key, though, is you're never going to get all the odor away, but the key is to uh, play the wind. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Right. What about you, Jeremy? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like Sean. I'm not really brand specific, but I do use, you know, the soaps and the deodorants and the sprays and all that. I, and, you know, during – I'm not as bad as some where they're scent-free everything all the time. But starting September 1st, because you, our season starts on the 20th, usually the last Saturday, which usually falls around the 28th, 29th of September. September 1st, I start using uh, Code Blue, the decode uh, shampoo and body, you know, body wash and stuff and scent-free deodorant. And then all my clothes get washed in, you know, scent-free uh, laundry detergent. And I, I don't use the dryer sheets anymore. I used to. Now I just toss them in the dryer and let them, and let them dry. Uh, I'll have totes where I'll, I'll toss my clothes in the totes with some leaves and some acorns and stuff like that. It seems to work real well for me. I, as a matter of fact, I was just out uh, last week. And within an, hour, within an hour of me being at the site, I put some turnips and stuff in. I was working the ground. And it was hot, and I was sweating. Within an hour of me leaving, I had deer on camera at the site. So that was, I'm pretty confident in what I do. And of course, playing the wind is always a huge, a huge factor. But I think, you know, the scent control stuff just, yeah. it, it helps 
eliminate. You know, it, it's a tool. Yeah, and I'll I'll say something, Carlos. Now, what you. about what about clothes? Do you guys use what about, what about clothes? Do you guys use like you know, scent lock or anything no. like that? I stopped using that stuff years ago. That they, I feel like those carbon liners they generate their own odor after a while. And I just didn't like it, so I, I intentionally avoid them myself. I mean, when you get a new suit, it's fine, but after a year or two, um, if you keep using that suit, I just feel like those carbon linings just develop an odor of their own after a while. I want to be able to put something on my nose, and, and when I inhale, I don't want to smell anything at all. I just, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. And with those carbon linings, I just felt like I just had too much odor from them. I just I stopped using them myself. So for me, I, I'm straight primitive. Um, playing the wind is my number one, obviously. But after that, I, it's hard for me to really buy into a lot of these products because of the marketing that's involved. I think like in one of our conversations, at least one, I was you know, complaining about this one little doodad called the acorn where it's supposed to uh-huh. be a calming sound for the deer from Hunter Specialties, it's a little uh, acorn-looking thing where you squeeze it and it sounds like chewing. And there's just so many gimmicks out there. And talking about scent control, there was a few years back, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, chlorophyll gum, take your take the yeah. scent out of your breath and make it, you know, neutral to the deer. The way I, I looked, used, go ahead. I I use peppermint gum because peppermint's a naturally occurring plant. So I just if I'm going to chew gum, I use peppermint. Yeah, I mean, and for me, the way I look at it is if you play the wind right, there's a, so, so a couple of other things you can control. Like as far as clothes go, I don't use uh, quote-unquote scent control clothes. I prefer wool uh, over anything else because wool, wool doesn't take on scent uh, nearly as bad as uh, polyester or any other, uh, or cotton for that matter. And then the other thing that... Um, that I do. I don't know if you guys have ever used smoke or ash, but I'll take hardwood and smoke up my clothes, uh, smoke, you know, myself up, um, you know, use ash and dirt and whatever else I can find and rub it on my clothes. And along the way, I'll just take, you know, uh, the surrounding things and rub it on me kind of like what you guys. And if I see, um, uh, where a bull has rolled around in, I'll step in that real good. Um, you know, if there's uh, droppings, I'll definitely mash those up on my feet. I know it sounds kind of gross. Uh, I do that too. Yeah, the the only thing mm-hmm. that yep. I don't like about the uh, smoke or ash is it takes away a little bit of my sense of smell because that's what I'll be smelling for a good long uh, until my nose gets used to it. But otherwise... It's it's worked for me. I remember when I was in North Dakota. I was in uh, Denby Experimental Forest, about forty five minutes away from Minot Air Force Base. Uh, this is be before the oil boom, so I'm sure there are many more people there now. But I couldn't find my stand one morning. I don't know if you guys have ever run into that, but I Once couldn't. Or twice. <laughs> I couldn't find my stand. No, never. <laughs> it was so dark, and I was walking around. Until finally I was like, okay, I am hot, I am sweaty, I'm going to sit down until the sun comes up because I'm not doing this anymore. And then lo and behold, I'm like 20 yards away from my stand, all hot and sweaty, and I climb up 
and no more than 15 minutes later comes this old doe sniffing around and she didn't see me she didn't you know really care one way or the another didn't seem alarmed and I took her right then it was a quick morning and I was I was sweaty beyond sweaty hmm. so sometimes yeah. sometimes it is what it is I just it's hard it's just hard for me to trust uh, the industry who relies on gimmicks I don't know yeah. I, I just think they gimmicks yeah. One of the things that I actually do, and I used to not talk about it because, you know, it almost sounds a little bit corny, but um, so human odor comes a lot from like bacteria that lives in the hair, like so like your armpit hair, you know. And so what I started to do years ago, it actually, when, it was four years ago, I came back from this um, survival show that was supposed to air on reality TV on Discovery Channel. I was in the desert for like 20 days and I just stank. I mean, I just flat out stank, even even after showering. And um, I knew about this. So I ended up shaving my armpits and, um, you know, just scrubbing real good. And, and that actually solved a huge part of that problem is just because of how much like, you know, being out in the desert and not really showering for 20 days, it just, I developed, I guess, a lot of bacteria in the hair or whatever but that's where our our odor comes from so if you remove the hair um you don't begin to have that human odor even when you're sweating it doesn't come on like it like it does if you have hair so i actually typically right before the season i'll just take like one of those little hair buzzer trimmers and just buzz the hair off and it is a little awkward at first Speaking from experience, like it, um, it's, I usually try to do it about four days, four or five days before the season starts, because it takes me a few days to get used to it, and I don't want to be like uncomfortable and awkward when I'm sitting in a stand opening day. So, and I know that's going to sound corny to people, but hey, if you find that you're in an area where you get sweaty and your armpits start to smell, whatever, it has actually made a difference for me. And I'm just throwing it out there, even though it makes me a little embarrassed to say it, just in case anyone else wants to try and it benefits them. Man, I I'm lucky I'm not very hairy to begin with, so that <laughs> that that works out in my favor. But uh, wait, hold on a second. Actually, let, let's let's walk that one back. You were on a show that was supposed to air. Yeah. What, what happened? What, what what was the show? What happened to the show? The show was called Built to Survive. And it's the same people that make Naked and Afraid, they were trying some different stuff. And so they took me and four other guys and put us in the, on the edge of the desert. And we had to build something to survive in within 20 days. And it was really a, a big joke. I actually signed contracts to not really talk about it um, oh. before it aired. I, I, it has aired. It's, it was on the Discovery Channel, but... Um, so basically what happened was this company films a show and sells it to Discovery. And that, that's what they do for the Naked and Afraid. And um, so, but what they did is they filmed us for like 16 hours a day for 21, 22 days. And they used that footage to make a 45-minute episode. You know, then commercials, it's an hour, an hour-long show. So they were they were just picking little bits here and there. And they were trying to create a story out of you know, it didn't actually happen. So, um, yeah, it was, it was funny. And 
so we had to build stuff and I built I built a little chapel, I built like a work shed, I built um I I was one of the guy me and one of the other guys built like a temporary lean to um when we first got there and then we converted that to the roof of the the work shed area and I helped build our main structure and um in the final ep when they actually put the episode together because I wouldn't play the game of like you see, when they do their interviews, if you ever watch reality TV, you, you after a while, you feel like you, these people say the same thing all the time from one show to the next. I thought it was just because people were watching a lot of reality TV and they just got used to hearing it. So that's what they said when they were on there. But what was actually happening is they interview you. And when you after you give them your answer, they say, well, how about you say this? You know, and like, uh, yeah, so it's so what it is, is it's it's scripted TV with poor acting is what reality TV is. So they basically kind of stand in the background writing these scripts, trying to get you to say it in those interviews and different things like that. And I just wasn't playing the game. They were trying to get me and this other guy to kind of bicker and fight, you know, so they could have drama. And um, I just I wouldn't I didn't really do it. And um, and so when they actually aired the show. I think I had two sentences in the whole show that of me speaking, and they out of the five. I also built a wiki up so that because we're in you know we're it's me and these four guys. You got to go to the bathroom at some point, and you got film crew walking all around all day long, and um, so I built a wiki up around this little. The one guy built a like a he found a toilet seat in the woods. And and flipped over a five-gallon bucket and duct taped it to the bucket so you'd have something to sit on, you know. And and I just got tired of trying to like go to the bathroom and having like people walking by all the time. So I built this wiki up, and um, you know they filmed me building it and everything and and had me explain what I was doing when I was doing it. But in the final episode, you don't they cut out basically everything that I built and then they had each guy explain what he built. And in, in the one like I built like the the these cot things in the in the main structure in the end, and um, that was one of the things that I spent I spent some time working on that to actually make it a little bit comfortable, and so they recorded me explaining what I did, but they also had this other guy say it as well. And in the final episode, they cut me out of all of the the things that were built. They only showed the main structure in the end. And a little kitchen area that a couple other guys built and a little dam that they built. And they cut everything else out that I built and cut me out of explaining everything that I built. And I was like, well, that's that's like annoying, <laughs> you know. But um, the show just when Discovery Channel got it, um, they didn't we didn't even think it was going to air because we thought they just didn't like what the company put together. And then one night I got like this phone call from one of the guys saying, hey, our show is about to air in 30 minutes. So um, they ended up airing it, but it wasn't like promoted, you know, like when you see shows promoted like Naked and Afraid, they they have little clips from it and different stuff like that. They never did any of that. It was just like they just aired it one night a couple times. And I had a whole bunch of people comment on my YouTube channel the next day like, oh, my gosh, I saw you on Discovery Channel last night. So it was people still saw it. It was kind of funny, though. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's sad but it just cons- confirms my suspicions that I not to trust yeah. anything it, that I see really. It, it's yeah, it's not reality. It's it's scripted bad bad acting whatever you want to call it. You, you it's, got, it's, 
it's cheap TV because it's cheap for them to get people. I mean, just about anybody wants to be on TV, so they you, they pay you next to nothing, and um, you know they they get a whole show out of it. You know, so you guys remember that one show called Top Shot? Yeah, I yes. knew that that yeah. show was going it was going down the tubes when they started. I don't know if you guys remember this episode, but they ran out of ideas for how to shoot, what to shoot with, and whatnot, and they started chucking rocks. Like, they picked oh, up rocks and started, and, and they, they, they were like, the most, the, whoever the host was, he was like, the most primitive weapon that man ever used was this. And he ended, the host holds up a rock. <laughs> and I was just thinking to myself, these are professional, you know, marksmen, and you're going to have them throw mm-hmm. rocks like baseballs. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it's this yeah. show's done. Beginning but, of the end. Yeah, I, I I was just like I I was uh highly disappointed. Hey, yeah. but Jeremy, what happened? Uh, I know something happened to you. You know, you guys were talking about laying out cameras. Something happened to your camera recently, didn't it? Yeah, I, we I got a spy point that I had out, and I knew it was on the ground. So. We were in, we were down in Alabama, and I was getting pictures of leaves and all this other stuff. And I'm like, all right. So we, when we finally got back, and I got out to, to grab it, I was walking out, and I'm like, looking around because I got, one camera at my stand. I'm like, where's, where's my Moultrie? It's, it's just gone. And so I walked over there, and I was looking, all around where, where it was supposed to be, and it's, it's just gone. So I walk over to the spy point pick the spy point up and there's no strap attached to it i'm like where is where's the strap and i saw the strap laying there and i looked at the strap and you could see where somebody tried to cut it and it didn't work so they ended up taking a hatchet and you could see the hatchet marks in the tree and they just let the spy point fall to the ground and i'm I'm guessing that it was probably somebody that does that knows cameras because the spy point can be deactivated and GPS tracked, but now I got that puppy hidden very well. So if they come back, we'll get pictures of them at least. That's crazy. But they weren't on either. Yeah, they weren't on the camera, so they they knew how to avoid the camera. So what I this is one of the reasons why I've been very limited when it comes to hanging hanging any sort of trail cam is because I would be up at night, you know, wondering if it was still going to be there. Cause I, I don't have private land on which I can hang my own stuff. I've had stands stolen mm-hmm. before, you know, show up on, on a hunting morning and find out that I'm not hunting a particular stand that I thought I was going to hunt that, you know, I, I, I had planned on hunting. How do you guys do it? I mean, like, do you guys use inexpensive? Ca- that spy point's obviously not ex- inexpensive. I mean, what kind of gear do you guys use, and how do you guys keep that peace of mind? Well, I'm I'm on private uh, private land, so and it's actually, you know, about a forty acre woods that I I grew up on, so I I know most of the people in that area, and but we've got some new people moving in now that I guess don't respect property boundaries but I, I don't ever really worry about it because in what the eight years that i've had permission on this property that's the first incident i've ever had hmm. 
What about you, Sean? I've had, um, I've had one camera stolen ever. Um, I, I actually put locks on mine now, like Python locks, and it's a deterrent. But a couple years, actually, before I got the Python locks, I usually just put them in areas that people don't think to look or go, so I never had any problems. Again, that was, I was in Pennsylvania, huge, huge tracts of public land. I could just get away from people. And um, But one year, I tried putting one in an area closer to parking because I was like, oh, let me just try this out. It was like July, and I thought maybe people won't be out yet. I'll just let it run for a couple weeks. I was looking for a spot for my dad, and I thought maybe, you know, maybe nobody would be out that first week of July. So um, that one got stolen. But I usually just lock them, and, um, you know, a lot of people are respectful. I actually have had cameras running on the public land here in Iowa, and I had three cameras set up within, a, you know, a half mile of each other in this one area just trying to really get a good handle on what's happening there. And I got, like, several different hunters walking by those cameras, and the one guy I could tell, he was pretty annoyed because – I got him on all three cameras and um, he was in and out of the woods within 20 minutes. Cause he, he went in the same track that I was setting the cameras on and, um, and he probably saw all the cameras and thought, Oh my goodness, some there's people all over the place in here. I'm just getting out of here, but he didn't mess with them. But he, he, I could see him standing there looking at a couple of them, you know, like scratching his head, like, Oh man, another one. Um, and then I had this one um, set on video mode and there was a guy, I guess squirrel season opens in the beginning of September here. So this guy was walking around. I'm thinking it was a 22 with a scope on it. And he's just creeping through the woods. And I just had, I have all these pictures of him going back and forth, looking at the cameras. I ended up, but he never messed with it. Um, so I think just having the lock on it is a deterrent. Some of them, I, I like the, the cameras. I usually buy cheap cameras. Um, and I prefer ones that the lock can go around the front of it, but most of the ones I have, it just goes around the back. So if somebody had a little saw, they could cut right through that plastic if they really wanted to. It's just a deterrent to, if the person just walking through the woods and sees it and doesn't have any tools or premeditation, they can't just yank it off the tree. You know, they have to have something there to do it. Oh, right on. What kind of, what kind of brands do you have? I think, uh, Jeremy said he uses Moultrie and spy point. What about you? Um, I've had a couple of Primos cameras over the years. I have like, um, I got a couple of Primos proof two cams right now, which I cannot stand and I will not buy. Well, I guess they, they fixed a lot of, they take like thousands of false exposures, but I think they've apparently fixed that issue. So if you're ever camera hunting and you're thinking, Oh, I'll, I'll buy one of the old models cause they're so cheap now. I would not buy the old model of that one. I also have, um, this company called Wasports, who gave me a, some cameras this year. I think they sell for like around seventy bucks on Amazon. They're um, they I've I've been running them now. They're they seem to be doing okay. I also have some um, Bushnell. Actually, Bushnell owns Primos, but the technology is different in them. So like I think Primos had developed their own camera style and technology before they were bought out and they just keep them as separate entities but i have some bushnell cameras and i usually look i i wait for black friday every year and look wait for the best deals i can come across on trail cameras and a lot of times you'll get like half off sales and then i'll just buy like one or two 
and I try to just you know get one or two cameras every year and kind of build it up over time. So that's that's my technique. I don't I don't spend big money on them, especially since you know like you've talked about they could always get stolen. So that's my approach. Yeah, um, check out check out Walmart. They've got uh, I think Tasco actually has yeah. a, a camera out. They're like twenty five bucks, and I I haven't used one. I don't know how good the pictures are, but some of the people I've talked to said that they actually yeah. take decent pictures. Yeah, I got some friends that are using them who said they're not too bad for twenty five bucks. You know, it's it's a good it's a good tool for twenty five bucks, even if it gets stolen. It's not like you're breaking the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for the most right. part, for me, I just want to know if deer are out there. I, I don't necessarily yeah. need to be able to see it in super 4K HD right. as if I was standing there myself. I just want to know, are deer out here? When are they out yeah. here? What are the conditions that they're out here? That way I can start patterning them. But, yeah, uh, what a lot of my well, friends are doing now is they're using a climbing stick and getting the camera up about eight feet off the ground and just angling it down at like a major tra- intersection of trails or something. And those people don't notice those as easily when they're, you know, up out of eyesight. And it's also harder to get at them to just take them. So I don't personally do that, but I got friends that are doing that in case anybody wants to try that. One of the, th- one of the things that people fall trapped to is the high megapixels. Don't, don't get a camera with a high megapixels because it takes longer for that image to, process through the camera so you you may not get a faster especially if you're in burst mode you may not get get that second image go with the lower megapixel camera they're cheaper too see this that's one of the things that makes me happy about wyoming for the most part unless you unless you're near uh the land that you plan on hunting which i was not in in wyoming i always had to drive like an hour or so. Uh, it's just pure spot and stock, still hunting kind of deal. Yeah. And I love that, especially because elk, for the most part, they do, I mean, I don't think they they pattern like whitetail. I mean, you have a normal migration pattern, but as far as uh, a sun up, sun, a sun down kind of deal, I think they're, uh, you know, a rambling kind of herd. I, I just did not yeah. figure out any sort of rhyme or reason to where they be uh, every day, even if I had trail cams. I, I'm not sure that I would have been able to figure it out. Yeah, unless you have like a watering hole that they have to go to, you know, it is definitely harder. They do do more ranging. Yeah, that was the thing for antelope too, pronghorn, is that depending on how, how much it's rained, you don't know if they're going to be at the same watering hole like you thought they would be. I lucked out one yeah. season. Um, it was the last day of uh, of a pronghorn season. I was looking toward another surgery. This time I was uh, ankle reconstruction, so I was still in a boot. And I, I set up a ground blind, and I, I gave up on spotting and stalking this one season. Just after, after time and again of being busted, and it's the last day, I was like, all right, let me let me just put a ground blind down. So I put down... Uh, you know, double my old double bull before they got bought out by Primos. Sat down, opened up one of my Scott Hahn books. Um, there you go. And started reading. And next thing I know, uh, I see through the screen, I see a herd of pronghorn 
about I don't know like the way my my rangefinder said it was about 300 400 uh, yards away so that's still a good bit and so I went back to reading my book looked up and they're getting closer I guess these things run whenever they feel like not not just if they're being chased and they I kid you not they were so close to my ground blind that if I had I could have chucked my bow at them. Um, wow. it, it, you know, one of them ran past me to where if I stuck out my arm, I probably could have sta- stabbed him with my knife. But wow. um, I, I got a good uh, that on that hunt. I missed. I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but I was a knucklehead and I shot my ground blind instead of shooting through the shoot through mesh. Oh, I've heard of that. So I, I missed I, in the excitement. I didn't look to see if my broadhead had cleared the actual canvas of the ground blind. And yeah. so when I shot, my arrow looked all kinds of jacked up, made a loud noise. And then luckily for me, the pronghorn never actually went away. They got scared by the noise, but they just jumped to the other side of my ground blind. And um, uh, one of the satellite bucks, one of the younger pronghorn bucks was trying to steal a couple of the pronghorn does from the from the harem leader and he ran him off to where that young buck was you know 30 yards away from me i'm out in the open at this point because i went i went to retrieve my arrow and so i had my bow and my quiver with me and i'm out in the open in blue jeans a black shirt and, and my my face is painted black and I'm just out in the open, and I was like, all right, this thing doesn't see me. I'm going to pop it. So out in the open and pop this sucker. But That's funny. Yeah, it was the weirdest. I mean, God really blessed me on that one. So it was I, meant to be. Yeah, he must have liked me reading Scott, huh? That, uh, I have no other explanation <laughs> other than, you know, grace and serendipity. But yeah. I don't know. Jeremy, what about uh, what's on the horizons for you? Like I think Bass Pro donated some stuff recently, right? Yeah, I got a, I got a. Well, every year during Classic Fall Classic, we have trade-ins for boots, uh, optics, and trail cameras. Trade trade those in, you get a certain amount off on a new camera based on what you know what the cost is on that. And they actually donated all those cameras to stag and cross and i'm in the process right now of going through and trying to find out which ones work and which ones don't so i think my thought process is right now is to get a hold of the uh the boy scouts at the parish and see if they can't use those to help with some merit badges or something oh, so right I'll on. end up donating those out right on don't if you and don't forget to check out if there's a uh, troops of St. George around you. Maybe they they might be able to make use of them too if there's one nearby. Yeah, there's there isn't an because oh. I, I was actually they actually sent some stuff to Father and he was supposed to review it and get back to me, but I know he wasn't too keen on it because the Boy Scout troops actually associated with with the parish. Mm. So uh, okay, yeah. Well, I guess uh, what is will be, I guess. But right. So, uh, in the future episode, 
one of the things I, w- I would like to talk about, especially um, since we have Sean on hand, bow reviews. I'm a yeah. I, I, I'm not the type anymore to try and get the latest and greatest bow because um, usually if I if I like something, I'll shoot it until it won't shoot anymore. Like my favorite of all time yep. was my Bowtech Commander. That, I mean, uh, the 2007, not the 2008. And I loved that bow to the point where I guess um, I shot it enough times that it finally gave up. And then Bowtech <laughs> at the time they didn't have any replacement parts for me. So I ended up, um, you know, and their lifetime warranty isn't really lifetime. It's the lifetime of that bow if they still make it. So, mm. um, they, and they were, make different bows almost every year. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I don't know, like right now, I don't know what you guys have. I'm looking at my bows. I have, uh, um, shoot. I don't even know Oh, shoot. What is this one? It's a... I, I was shooting Athens for a good long while just because they had a a, a very Christian theme to them. Um, yeah. I have the Athens Krios, which is their testament, but it has a cross machined into its riser. Nice. I have nice. a... Um, and that's an ASAT. Uh, I have a... Black and red Hoyt Carbon Spider Turbo from 2012, maybe. Um, and then there's my Oneida and I um, for bow fishing, and then I have a recurve and a uh, longbow. But that's all I have in my stable right now. I'm trying to remember what my target bow. Um, it's an a- Athens something, but I can't figure out. I can't remember what it is. What do you guys have? I got a Bowtech Range 7 that Bowtech gave me last year. And um, I have an APA Mamba 34 TF that APA gave, you know, hooked me up with this year. I actually put a call into um, Expedition yesterday because they had hooked me up in the past before I had that deal with Bowtech. Um, but I didn't really – I mean, the Bowtech's not a nice bow. I – They've had their limb issues with their limbs blowing up, and I had another buddy had who's his blew up yes like this past week, and I do remember last year I was in the snow in New York on a hunt. It was ice and snow and ugly, and there was snow all over the limbs. And honestly, I was afraid to pick the bow up and draw it back. I was like, you know what, I I got to move on from this because whether it's a good bow or not, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sit here and have doubts and worry about pulling the bow back it's not worth it. You know what I mean? You got to be on your game, especially in that kind of weather conditions. You got to make a good shot. And if you're mentally, you know, struggling with, is my bow about to blow up? It's not going to help you do your job, you know? So I think I'm going to probably get rid of the Bowtech. It's a nice bow, a nice shooting bow, but I don't, you know, I don't know. So anyway, I put a call on the expedition yesterday. I'm hoping that um, maybe they'll, want to work with me this year but i really like the expeditions i've been recommending them to people they just tune so well they're um they're a hybrid cam like the hoyts are only they're faster and smoother and, and better for tuning like after i shot expedition i was like i don't think i'll ever be able to go back to hoyt after this <laughs> um no offense to hoyt but expedition definitely has a 
a superior hybrid Carambella, from my opinion. But that's that's what's on my that's what I got going on right now for bows and, and you some recurves and stuff. What about you, Jeremy? I've got I have my Samic Sage that I just got this year, nice. and not ready to shoot that for the season yet. So I'm, that's going to hold off till next year probably. But I've got a Blackout Toxic BC and a bow I've had for the last couple of years, and I probably won't get rid of it for a while. But it's one of one of our uh, house brands, but it's made by Diamond Bowtech. Right. Right on. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would uh, like to see what you guys think of the new lineups coming up. And if one of you guys or both of you guys end up going, uh, going uh, to the ATA show, uh, please uh, keep me in the loop. I've never gotten to go. I've always wanted to, but it, being in the military, my schedule for whatever reason just hadn't mm-hmm. lined up, and I don't know that I'm willing to take uh, leave for that. But anyhow... Uh, we're almost out of time uh, for this episode, and before the mu- music starts playing, do you guys have any final thoughts for the audience out there? I think perseverance, guys and girls out there. I mean, we're we're always excited going into the season, but you know, reality is sometimes it's tough. So um, just hang in there and persevere through the season. Don't give up. That's my advice. Jeremy, you. Four words. Hunt hard, pray harder. There you go. I Praise like the Lord it. on that. Amen. So, uh, well, folks, that music is our cue letting us know that we're out of time for this week's episode of Fire Away, brought to you by Catholic Ammo. Many thanks to all who are listening. A special thanks to our guests, uh, Jeremy and Sean. Brothers, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you'll join us again, especially for another Campfire episode. So a quick recap of episode 34, we discussed quite a bit on hunting. Anywhere from anti-hunters and why they say what they say and how to respond to a couple of gear reviews, talking about trail cams, talking about scent control, uh, whether it's clothing, tactics, techniques, or procedures, um, all kinds of things. It was it was a great, uh, great discussion. But before we finish, let's go ahead and bow our heads in the closing prayer. Uh, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within thy wounds, hide me. Suffer me not to be separated from thee. From the malicious enemy, defend me. And in the hour of my death, call me and bid me come unto thee, that I may praise thee with thy saints and with thy angels forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more thought-provoking, soul-enriching content, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under at Catholic Ammo. Again, that's at Catholic Ammo. And be sure to check out more Fire Away at WCATradio.com forward slash Fire Away. And don't forget these wonderful gentlemen that joined me today. This is your host, Carlos Bursabe. Until next Friday, keep mission-focused and stay locked, loaded, and ready. Failure is not an option. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show 
on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.